Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. Uh, we are very excited about uh, this podcast because we have a guest with us. We do. We friend. have a troubler in Israel with oh, us today. No. All He's the not way, a troubler in Israel. All the way from the Republic of Texas, which is the only state in the Union <laughs> that can fly its flag on the same level with the United States flag. Did you oh, know that? I didn't know that. Absolutely. Tom Buck, Tom, Buck, um, Tom Askell, kind of, he's coveting your land right now, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's not his land, it's my land, it's but he gets to live there. This is the land, of, <laughs> the land I was born in, the land I was raised in. That's right. He Tom, was here before I was here. That's right, but you got there as quick as you could. That's the way it usually works for folks that weren't born there, so that's okay. Well, why'd you leave, exactly right. Missionary. <laughs> well, I had to go no, to the unreached people of Florida. I'm from Tennessee, and there wouldn't be a Texas if it weren't. <laughs> well, all right, yeah, you get special dispensation because you're from Tennessee. <laughs> we did count on you guys, although although it didn't work out very well uh, initially, but it ultimately did. So, uh, right. Tom, great to have you with us, man. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, uh, you and I have known each other for how long? Since you were in tech in Florida, right? Yes, uh, I think we first met at a founders event that was over in Daytona. I think, if I remember okay, correctly, that's right. The trip, uh, one of the trips, was over there Both doing a family them. conference, and that's where we first met. I think. Yeah, we had uh, Paul and Ted at that uh, founders conference. I remember that, and yeah. that would have been probably fifteen plus years ago. Yeah, at least yes, it definitely was because I've been here fourteen. Okay, yeah, so it was between fifteen and twenty years ago, and so uh, you're now in East Texas, right? I am. I'm uh, Lindell right outside of Tyler, uh, right near White House, where Patrick Mahomes is from. So that's a, this is a perfect day to say that after he won the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes? What's Who's he it? do? Who, who is this you speak of, Tom? Yeah, uh, yeah I'm sorry. Uh, the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, Kansas, Hannah's laughing at us. Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah. We still yeah. have Chiefs in the, in the <laughs> laughing at us. Everybody's talking about the halftime show, by the way. We're going to sign up. Everybody's talking about the halftime show. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't watch any of the Super Bowl. I didn't even know it was the Super Bowl. <laughs> it was just um, shame on me. It is a but shame. But my wife me. tells me the news. She's like, everybody's going nuts about the halftime show. It's like, what do you expect? It's the Super Bowl halftime show. I was, this morning, I was reading uh, uh, some social media stuff, and people are, that's the worst 20 minutes of my life. I, I'm I'm thinking, why'd you sit through it? Stop subjecting <laughs> yourself to it. Yeah, yeah, that's why I record it and go. To, I go to church, then come home and watch it. Speed right through it. There you go. There you go. So yeah, Mahomes. I did. I watched the first two touchdowns. Yeah, for uh, I, I think Kansas City scored the first touchdown, and then uh, San Francisco got the second one, and then I gave up. And, and Chiefs. So Chiefs won. Chiefs won. I think yeah, they came yeah. back to win, a, right? Yeah, they came back to win as they did in every playoff game. But really, yeah, I got to watch Mahomes play in high school, so it's did kind you? of special, you know, to have a home uh, a guy that's near near here go yeah. to the Super Bowl and win. So, where did he play college? He played at Texas Tech. Oh well, no wonder I don't know about him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you don't get outside. <laughs> but, uh, Aggie, not an Aggie. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I I've seen clips of this guy, man, and he's a magician. It's fascinating he what he can do with the ball. Hey. And he's a good guy, and I love when good guys win. Yeah, so. yeah, Listen, yeah. y'all are too Baptists getting sidetracked about football. We're supposed to be talking sorry, about sorry, What do you mean sidetracked? What do you mean sidetracked? We're Southern Baptists. What do you mean sidetracked? We're a Super Bowl party at the church. You hear what I'm saying? A tailgate party going on around here. We're talking about Jesus. Yeah, so <laughs> one more thing about Lindell before we get too serious is barbecue. Uh, oh, 
Oh, absolutely. You know, I can just feel the. Uh, I know, Jerry. You, you might want to go get another cup of coffee because uh, <laughs> Tom took me to a barbecue place in was it Lockhart? Where was it? No, Lockhart's uh, quite a bit ways down, oh, but right, it's right. like Lockhart barbecue. It's Stanley's in Tyler. Stanley's in Tyler. That's right, man. We had to wait in line. It was worth it. Uh, yeah, that was some good eating down there. It's so. better than the uh, barbecue from say Memphis. Oh, please, please. Hey. Please. Listen, you ought, to t- you ought to try to take Bodie Bachman there. Why is I that? I did. Because the man can eat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can he, he, does, he does that keto. He, he, he sees is, meat. He big. says, that's, yeah, that's man, for I'm me. Telling, listen, I go, up to, I go up to the counter with him. I said, what do you want? He said, one of every. He said, one of everything. <laughs> and he was not kidding. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Well, Tom, thanks for being with us. We really don't want to talk about barbecue and football the whole time with you, but uh, we had to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. So, hey, Tom, so, you know, we've had discussions and then a lot of discussions online and, of course, the film By What Standards. So it's no surprise to anyone that uh, there's something in the water when it comes to Southern Baptist life presently. Um, How just kind of give us your overall understanding of our present situation. If you were going to try to communicate to some guys, say, here's what's going on, here are my major concerns, let me let me describe to you the lay of the land, uh, what you should be looking out for, how I'm feeling about the present situation in the SBC. What would you say? Well, it's certainly multifaceted, and I don't even at times know how to get my finger exactly on what is, you know, is there a problem? I don't know if there is a problem. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that are going on that at various levels, but I, I would have to go back to, uh, Phoenix. And, um, when we're dealing with, uh, I think that's where we were dealing with the alt right. The year before was the, the resolution regarding the Confederate flag. And then the next year was the alt right resolution. And, you know, you, you just could sense that, you know, there was something going on and I'm not speaking ill of either of those resolutions. I'm just simply saying you could see that there was, something going on within the convention regarding um, a a feeling that, you know, particularly with the ERLC and others, that they weren't happy with the past of the Southern Baptists. They wanted to distance themselves from the the Republican Party. There's a lot of that that I felt uh, felt and still feel good about because there were issues I had with the moral majority and our marrying with a particular party. Mm -hmm. But it it just seems like that um, there is, a new political movement mm. uh, moving in our convention that is um, that I couldn't put my finger on really. I knew when we, you know, sat down to work on the social justice statement that there certainly was a movement towards, um, you know, language regarding worldly concepts of social justice. But it, the wake up call for me was resolution nine. Mm. And I know people say, oh, you're overreacting or whatever, but I'm really watching the reaction the other side right now um, mm. who, you know, when you say, hey, this w- went too far, this resolution went said too much. When you tried, Tom, you tried to make your amendments on the floor that were, everybody knows they were reasonable. I've talked to m- multiple SBC leaders uh, who have said that, they voted for that amendment, wished it had passed, still went on and passed, voted for Resolution 9, and now wish they hadn't. Yeah. Mm. So, um, but when you talk about making these small amendments and people act like that, you know, you simply making the case for these being neo-Marxist and Marxist ideologies, 
uh, they didn't want to add that language in. Something's going on. I don't know what it is. I can't assign motives, but I, I think that we are in a more dangerous time today uh, than we were in with the original resurgence. Yeah, I really believe that. I agree with that. And you know, you you bring up those earlier conventions, and and then what you just said about certain leaders that you've talked to. Uh, the the process, you know, the process whereby some of these actions have been taken are what raise concerns in my mind as well. And then with the, uh, I mean, not not so much the conclusions as you said. I mean, you you know, the alt right stuff. Certainly, we want to uh, distance ourselves mm-hmm. from that. But then, how do you define it? You know, because if you right. listen to some people, uh, Al Mohler's alt right, and we certainly aren't going to try to uh, condemn him in our resolution that we passed. But what about the, you said leaders, many leaders in the SBC who were for the amendment that was offered and voted for the resolution now regret it. Have any of those guys spoken out publicly? No. Yes. No, none of of the guys that I have spoken to privately have spoken out publicly. Why do you think that is? Well, that's part of what concerns me. It's the, it's the ongoing problem in the SBC of an unwillingness to speak one's mind clearly and openly because of what we keep saying, the 11th commandment. And, uh, I understand in one sense that, you know, we can't have a free for free for all middle school lunchroom food fight. Um, but we do need to be, I I just, I I don't have a lot of respect for someone who will boldly tell me something privately and then not be willing to say publicly in a very, calm fashion this was a mistake we went too far yeah it's almost like the the fear of breaking the 11th commandment gives boldness to just wink at the 10 commandments <laughs> hey, i think you're right to back it up one step I, I wonder i'm sure there's people that aren't speaking maybe some from the younger generation that are, that have concerns and aren't speaking i know there's a there's a temptation to try to be a climber in the SBC. Um, you know, if you make the right kind of friendships, you might be able to move up the echelons of the SBC ladder. That's what you're doing, Jared, right? That's, 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 why, you're, that's why you're friends with that's me. That's it, strategy. isn't it? That's it. At least we know up front. Uh, okay. That's why I'm your friend. Well, well I, I got news for you, brother. <laughs> you you have hit your top rung, okay? <laughs> I knew I knew that uh, you didn't have any SBC <laughs> back when I heard about certain, certain things you were saying on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention when guys were telling you you're gonna you're gonna uh, ruin your career and you said i don't have a career i'm a pastor well, i'm from texas so watch out yeah let me tell but i want you to finish your thought but i gotta tell that story accurately uh it was the year that the resolution was passed against alcohol that's right and and you know it was no fine. drinking beer if you're gonna yeah, but, be a pastor yeah and then planner. jim richards is a friend of mine who's now the executive director of the conservative baptist uh the texas southern baptist uh, added to it, added an amendment that you had to be a teetotaler. You know, you couldn't just not drink. You, you actually had to, you know, by conviction, be a teetotaler. And I just happened to be at a mic because I'm going to speak to Regenerate Church membership resolution. And so I speak against Jim. I say, you know, he's my brother, but, you know, uh, Jesus, yeah, we can't be more righteous than Jesus. Jesus, had, we don't want to make a standard that wouldn't let Jesus be a missionary for the IMB. That's right, you know, our trustee. So, uh uh, so I'm walking out of, of that session, walking down the hallway, and um, it's at, it's Jason Allen, who at that time was uh, like a research assistant or something in the administration at Southern. He comes up to me, and I've known Jason, you know, for years before this. He said, Tom, so you realize you just committed denominational suicide in there. 
And I said, well, yes, that's not true because in order to commit suicide, you have to have a life. And I don't have a denominational life, so I can't commit denominational suicide. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. I'm clear of any kind of corporate climbing by being your friend. Um, Well, and it it speaks volumes that you could commit denominational suicide for simply not wanting to employ uh, an unbiblical mandate. and, 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 But yet you can put forth critical race theory and be a hero. Today. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's yeah. stunning. Yeah. Wild. So, you know, uh, Tom, you wrote something, Tom Buck, you wrote something on Twitter recently about young people listening to people like over 50. And I think I tweeted you and said, you lost me at you're over 50. I mean, we don't need <laughs> right. to hear you all geezers. So, so you, both of you just said something that I, that has at least been questioned and I would like to hear more about it. I think you said, Something along the lines that what's going on presently is just as bad or worse than what was going on with the conser- in the times of the conservative resurgence. Yeah. Did I get you both right? Amen. Okay. Because, yeah, you did. All right. But, um, and there's, there's, we, very, there's various factors why I would say that. But. Well, I want, here's, here's my – let me tell you about who I am, and then there's other people out there like this, I'm sure. I went to Southern Seminary and heard wonderful things about the conservative resurgence. I heard about the dangers with Molly Marshall being the head of the School of Theology. I heard that once she was preaching, and I don't know if this could totally be apocryphal, but I heard that she was preaching, called the men to come down to the altar and repent of being men. So, <laughs> well, I don't know if that's true, but this is true that she said one time, I read it, that her favorite hymn was, if men go to hell, who cares? Uh, so oh my I've heard, I've heard a lot of stories about where we were, um, as a denomination. And so there was, there was all, a lot of great work and errancy of the word of uh, all of this going on. And so when people say now, well, Hey, this is just as bad or worse than what was going on there. Um, I feel like it has to be spelled out. I know that Aiken at least has questioned that. There's a Baptist Press article came back in August of 2019, Aiken Moeller dispute claim of SBC liberal drift. I think that heading's a little off because Moeller is actually saying, no, there really is a problem. Aiken seemed to be saying that there really wasn't. He says, we believe in atonement. Uh, we believe in the Great Commission. We believe in the inerrancy of God's word. So this is nothing like what was going on back there. So I think you men have to explain this. Like, what are you, what are you saying when you say it's worse now than it was then. Well, let me uh, let me say why I would say that. Uh, because I do think that's hard for people to get. They're like, wait a minute. We had all these liberals in the seminaries. Wait a minute. We uh, They were denying uh, inerrancy. Uh, we were in bad times. There's no doubt that we, that we were. I mean, I don't deny that. In fact, uh, that's one of the reasons I didn't go to a Southern Baptist um, um, school. I was growing up in liberal Southern Baptist church. My pastor had been a graduate of Southeastern in the worst days that there were. He did not believe in miracles. Mm. He made that clear from the pulpit when he preached. Uh, I have a famous story that I've told regarding something that he preached, but it takes a few minutes, so I won't do it right now. But I walked away as a young man looking at God's word, and I'm like, "This is they don't even believe what the Bible says. And so I ended up going to Moody and going to DTS mainly because those schools were very influential in the area where I was near Chattanooga and WMBI was out of there. So um, I, I, I say part of it, I'd say my nature is not just want to brawl and fight. Um, uh, I do want to stand for truth. I do, I, you know, I do have within me, if the fight is needed, I'll do that, but I would prefer not to. So I went off to other schools. I thought it was lost. I had a friend who went to Carson Newman and he had a professor that said that Paul was a closet homosexual. That's just telling you what was going on. So they, they were bad days. There's no doubt of that. 
I don't think we have any of that going on right now, that type of thing. But here's why I say it's worse, uh, or it just as bad, maybe worse. Um, and that is because what we have going on in our seminaries today and what we have happening is we've secured the battle for inerrancy, if we will. The Bible is true. We believe it's true from cover to cover. You just hear that over and over again. But yet now what we've done is we've said it's not sufficient. And what we need, yes, we need the Bible as true as it is, but we also need and can be used and, and aided by worldly systems that are godless that reject the Bible outright. Yeah. And we can mix that with the Word of God and find it. A, let, Word of God always has final say. But yet at the end of the day, we can mix it together. And here's what I believe. And I go back. I preached yesterday on Exodus 32 uh, and talking about, you know, this seeker-sensitive worship that was there, uh, <laughs> the worst example of it in the history of the world. <laughs> and here's a statement that I made yesterday in my sermon that was about that, but I think it applies to this. I said the most dangerous kind of error is the kind that mixes what is true with what is false. Mm -hmm. And that is why I say that this is more dangerous because people are not going to see how dangerous it is. And it is going to be much more difficult to untangle the errors. We're already seeing this to be the case because people say, wait, you don't care about justice. Right. And you, it, we're like, yes, we care about justice. We're not saying we don't care about justice. We're saying that we're not going to add the word social before it. We're going to put the word biblical before it. And we're going to let the word of God be the final authority. We have, we have officially ceased for the, the Bible to be the only authority to which we're listening to. Uh, we are now saying that these are, uh, there are other tools that are going to help us. And this has been going on a long time, and we just haven't known it. We've just wait, awakened to it, no pun intended, uh, to what is what is taking place. So that's why it's a mixture of true and false, and I see it more dangerous because of that. Tom may have more thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you in substance on that. And I, I think it, what we're dealing with now is subterranean. And so it's it's harder to see. It's like, man, look at our house. We we've got great straight walls. We got a nice roof. You know, we got great windows, and mm. everything's in order. But what we've got going on underneath the foundation, if it's not stopped, it's going to destroy the house. And we mm -hmm. we've got to uh, shine the light on it, show what it is, because these ideologies that are coming in, they're in our world. They are destroying the foundations of truth. We can't even have a conversation. And in right. fact, it's hard to parody anymore. Uh, th th these things are so bad. Babylon B is going to be put out of business because they're not going to be able to do parodies mm -hmm. because these are realities. I mean, th th these things just happen. There's no basis of truth. And so whenever the ideologies that are doing that to the very foundations of truth are being uh, toyed with by the people of God and say, and we tell, tell folks, well, these are analytical tools. We can use them mm -hmm. when the tools themselves have embedded within them ideas of destruct, destroying, deconstructing the very foundations of reality mm -hmm. that the God of reality has woven into the real world. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very helpful. It is the sinister nature of these ideologies. And back in the day, you know, I don't know what it was like in the conservative resurgence where we hear stories. I'm sure there was some some muddy waters even then. But 
you get the sense that eventually a clear line was drawn. We believe the Bible is inerrant. We believe the Bible mm-hmm. has errors. And that's good. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's a clear battlefield. But when you have when you have this um, this error of epistemology, or you could even say ontology, reality, what it is. This person saying, I believe this is white. I believe that is this is black. Well, that's really good. But when you have one person say, I believe this is white, and the other person saying, I believe this is white, but it's not really white. <laughs> well, now you have a terribly confusing situation in which people are going to be confused. So the, the issue of justice, just like you said, Tom Buck, you said, you know, you don't care about justice. You said, well, we do care about justice. We're just going to use the word biblical rather than the word social. Well, what we're trying to do is distinguish between two different definitions right. of justice. And yet both people are saying justice and a mass amount of people are confused about the definition of justice. Yeah. So we're very confused about, um, actual definitions, which is creating this problem. I've heard it said really well about, um, uh, the, the illustration that, um, you know, orthodoxy in, in the old days, orthodoxy was like a brick house and the errors would come in and they would just take a brick away. Well, you could see that happening. But what's happening now is this idea of truth decay, that truth decay has been injected mm-hmm. into the brick. So they're disintegrating around us, but you can't see it yet. They're all still seem to be in place, but they're weakening. And that was a very helpful way for me to think about the the danger of what's going on presently. So I think you guys have identified something that's important and that's why i think aiken and others can can say well i don't see a problem right because yeah. we we still hold to atonement we still hold to an errant bible you know? you know tom i've off i've been tempted to start saying that i've said publicly multiple times that i'm against social justice because i'm for justice mm-hmm. i'm wondering if we ought to start saying that we're against capital s capital j social justice because we're for little s little j social justice I mean, it, in its right context, mm-hmm. justice is always social, you know, because it's dealing with relationships. Right. But the, the fact is, if you buy into these agendas that are rooted in critical theory, rooted in these ideologies that have embedded within them the destructive ideas that we, we, we don't just assess, we've got to transform through deconstruction. That's embedded in critical theory. And if you buy into that, and, and you apply it in your relationships to people who are oppressed and who are marginalized and who are hurting and need help, mm-hmm. you're not doing them justice. You are gonna, you're going to wound them. You're going to injure them. And we see this happening. My right. goodness, you see people who have turned victimology in, into an industry now, and, and they are abusing the people that they are keeping in that mentality of I am only and always will be a victim. Mm. It's horrific. Tom Buck. Absolutely it is. And we have, yes. Well, I don't want to interrupt you. Go ahead and share your thought. Then I've got another question for you. I was just just simply going to say, we obviously understand, believe with our whole hearts, that the gospel has horizontal uh, consequences and horizontal responsibility. Absolutely. But when you begin with the horizontal, when you begin with any worldly philosophy, you're going to be. You're going to eventually hurt people. You begin. You must have your the vertical right. Mm-hmm. Uh, understanding where we must get what we're supposed to be doing from God first and foremost. The vertical always moves to the horizontal, but you don't start with the horizontal. That's right. And that that is deeply troubling to me today that we would even begin there. But yet yesterday, or it might have been the day before. I have. I think it was the day before. I get asked in, in a, on a public platform. I didn't respond to this person at the time. I want to respond to them privately. 
But I guess I asked on a public platform by an SBC employee uh, in one of our seminaries that what does it matter if, if I subconsciously have CRT influence in me and I come to the right, wrong conclusion or right conclusion, what does it matter? <laughs> wow. I, I'm stunned. Wow. That someone who is employed in an SBC seminary would would say such a thing. Yeah, so you it's, pay this guy's salary, and he's asking this question publicly. Yes, publicly. Mm. And I'm sitting here going, okay, it doesn't matter what well you drink from, as long as <laughs> as long as you come to the right conclusion. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's the issue of the sufficiency of scripture. Yeah, uh, you could say the same thing about. Uh, worldly psychology that we fought against to say we need the Bible to be driving what we believe. And if we didn't do that, where would we be today on the LGBT issues and all of those other things? If we were listening to worldly psychology, we'd be in a mess. Yeah. So it does matter what well you're drinking. Yeah. Because you, you, you grant authority to that. So, Oh, look, I followed this way of thinking and came out at a good and right conclusion. And so now then that way of thinking is legitimized and you will be tempted to follow it or others will follow it to conclusions that are illegitimate. You know what people are going to say to that though? They're going to say, well, this other well is just general (laughs) revelation. So you're talking about the Bible, you know, the authority and sufficiency of scripture. Uh, But God speaks through creation as well. We can understand these things through natural revelation. And I mean, that's what the guy said post your, your amendment. (laughs) Um, So there's, um, Sorry, I'm flashing back to that moment. Like boxing him out from a mic. He was like attacking my shoulder. It's like, let's have some. Robert's rules does not permit you to body check me when I'm standing at a no, mic. No, no, no. Okay. All right, That's look, all I got to say. Before we get to Orlando, I expect you to start working out, bro. All right. You got to hit some the gym. muscle. All right. It's like Come going on. into the paint with LeBron up in here. All right. So, anyways. Well, I guarantee you that Marxism isn't general revelation. Yes, that's the point. Yeah. Is that this is not general revelation. Like, do general. We love general revelation. God yeah. speaks through creation. Absolutely. Would you pay close attention? Yeah. And you're not. This is not. You're you're calling up, down. That's yeah. what's going on with this thing. You're calling down up. You're calling the sun, the moon. You're calling the moon, the sun. And you're getting all these things twisted Men, up. Men, women, boys, girls, women, women, all the way down the line. Um, you know. So at any rate, I mean, calling. You call it grace justice. You want to get closer to mm-hmm, biblical terms. Mm-hmm, That's where you're getting mm-hmm. really you're getting. You call it justice grace. You got you got some issues going on here. So. Um, Tom Buck, that's some yes. of the lay of the land. What are you devoted to? What are you going to do uh, as a pastor? And what are you going to do as a Southern Baptist? And what would you call men to do given the times? Well, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to do all that I can to be more involved mm. uh, than I have in the past. And I mean, I have to take responsibility Amen. for that. Uh, when the, I wasn't a part of the resurgence because I, walk, I, I was a young man. I didn't have a lot of hope in what was going on. And I'm like, I don't want to fight in the seminaries. I went off somewhere else. Um, I rejoiced when the resurgence happened. I praised God for men like Tom Askell, uh, Albert Moeller. Uh, I think I can still say Paige Patterson's name today. Uh, Paige Patterson um, and many, many others that stood uh, in, in for, for the changes that we've seen take place. Um, but I have to admit that I just, I've always been Southern Baptist, the pastor of Southern Baptist Church, but I kind of just sat back and just trusted and believed everything's going to be okay now. 
and I was not involved the way that I needed to be involved. Mm. So I'm not getting involved now as just because, hey, there's a fight, let's get involved, because if that were true, I would have done that back in the resurgence. I have a lot, I have a life investment in the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm pastoring a church that is uh, 100 and almost 150 years old in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, and is in the convention. And um, I, I feel like that I have a responsibility mm. um, to, to, to make sure that we don't drift back to where we were before mm-hmm. and I, or worse. Because I don't, I'll say this, I don't believe there will be, if we allow this to continue to, to take over, there will not be another opportunity for us to bring our convention back. Um, so I'm going to be involved. I'm involved in trying to help my church understand as much as possible. It's a hard line to walk because I want to care. You know, I've got issues in my own church that are important issues that need to be dealt with and leadership that needs to be given to. Uh, a discipleship that needs to be take, uh, happening, elders to be raised, being raised up. And I'll be honest with you, in some ways, this feels like a distraction to that, and it probably is a distraction to that. So I, I think it's going to take lots of Southern Baptist pastors who are willing to come together and say, no more. Yeah. And I believe there are a lot of guys that are out there like that. They don't feel like they have a voice. I don't go a week without receiving some type of correspondence from a pastor in this convention who is just fed up with all of this. Yeah, man, I agree with you. I mean, that's what, what really hit me over the last two or three years as I've been trying to get my mind around things and then seeing it and trying to address it and trying to figure out the best ways to address it. What God has driven home to me is really in the process of making the by what standard film in the process of making that film, it became crystal clear to my thinking that I am guilty of doing just what you said, kind of sitting by trusting people who are in places of leadership and in different institutions and agencies, trusting, you know, folks that were doing the, the hard work of leading the denomination and letting some of these bad ideologies creep in and in evaluating that thinking, you know, people all the time, I'm sure you get this, man, why you stay Southern Baptist? You guys ought to get out of the SBC. And, you know, I understand the arguments and, SBC is not for everybody and people leave and I, I wouldn't, you know, I mean, that's a conscience issue. So I, I get that. But as I'm thinking, okay, the SBC is an association of churches. What does it mean to be um, a good steward of the relationships that we have in an association? It means a lot different than the way I've been living the last five years and leading mm-hmm. our church to live. So yeah, man, we're a local church. And in one sense, what happens in the SBC, what happens in Nashville doesn't affect us because we've got a full agenda in our local uh, responsibilities and commitments beyond uh, the, from our local responsibilities that extend throughout the world with missions and different endeavors that we're engaged in. However, if we're going to be SBC, if we're going to be a part of any association, then we ought to be good associational members. And what does that mean? Well, it means we ought to participate. It means that we ought to uh, uh, do what we've agreed to do, mm-hmm. which is to hold each other accountable as churches mm-hmm. and then hold accountable the institutions and agencies that we cooperatively support. And that is what it means to be in an associational relationship with other congregations. One of the things I'm discovering, I think it's probably what you just said, and I'd love you to elaborate on it. 
I hear from pastors daily now. I mean, multiple times mm-hmm. a day. I'm getting emails, phone calls uh, every day from pastors of Southern Baptist churches who say, man, you know, we're coming to Orlando. We have watched by what standard uh, we're reading, we're listening, we're seeing things going on. And yeah, you, you, we, we've got to repent of our lack of involvement, of our willingness just to kind of sit by and let things happen. And that's a good thing. I mean, that's a good yeah. thing. And I hope that kind of awakening will spread throughout the SBC and that more and more churches will recognize, okay, if we're going to be SBC, then let's do it the right way. And let's, as you said, you know, we're not looking for a playground fight, but let's honestly, genuinely have the kinds of conversations that are appropriate to associational relationships. Absolutely. And if we're going to discuss the validity of of using critical race theory and intersectionality as as an analytical tool, it it is, I'll tell you what was the worst thing, is how irresponsible that was. Absolutely. For that, for the leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention, and for that committee, and I don't—I'll call it out publicly—it was irresponsible for them to reduce such an important discussion down to a few minutes and try at one point to package <laughs> to it bundle. all together with a bunch of others. Absolutely, and Absolutely. I'm not saying that there was any motivation. Forget the motivation. I don't—I can't judge their heart, but I can say they're not very bright. Yeah, and I don't mind saying that yeah. to do something of that nature that is such a serious issue when I'll bet you that if you had had done a poll of people, when they came into that room, they couldn't have told you what critical race theory or intersectionality was. Right. Because I couldn't have told you that a year ago, a a little more than a year ago. Right. And the other thing is, is the leadership of the convention. I think they actually believe, at least I hope this is the case that they, that it's a misunderstanding that the current voting block that comes to the convention right now is actually representative of the majority of mm. Southern Baptists. And yeah. I think they're out of the river loving mind. I do too. You know, I, especially for the younger generation, I think there is a, a need to build out an understanding of the associational um, mm-hmm. reality of the convention. Uh, keep, <laughs> I, I put a Twitter poll up uh, a few, maybe a week ago. And said, you know, if there's a church that's not in general agreement with the Baptist faith and message in the Southern Baptist, remove disfellowship that church. Um, is that appropriate or is it divisive? And it kind of meant unnecessarily divisive. And uh, a lot of people did say appropriate, but other people were like, do Southern Baptists do this? You know, cannot you know, Southern Baptists can't do this. And then they have all these reduced understandings. Well, mm-hmm. no, we're, we're not a, um, a top-down denomination the way that right. Presbyterians are. We can't fire a pastor. But we can absolutely disfellowship people from the association. Sure. That is a pre-commitment of Southern Baptists. And then it, you even got to go back a step. Cause, so when you're taught this kind of egalitarian goo, you're taught that any kind of voting just doesn't even seem quite right. Seems like I'm trying to grab power, and no, I don't want to grab power. That's the last thing I want to do. And you're in this in this way of <laughs> this, this way of everybody's got to have the same equality. And then of course, then you notice, well, I mean, somebody is on the stage and deciding, determining things mm-hmm. and making votes. So how's that? How's that work? Well, once you understand, no, God's created a world that actually has a certain authority and responsibilities. And as a pastor of a church, I want to seek the welfare of the other churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. And so if I want to do that, I don't want them to fall into heresy. 
Right. I, and so, therefore, I'm going to take the responsibility to make sure that the churches that are in this association are walking in manner uh, according to the Word of God and according to what we've already pre-committed we've to, to do yep. with the Baptist faith and message. So this struck me a few, was it three conventions ago when we disfellowshipped a church that for was racism. for racism. Mm-hmm. was not They were not mm-hmm. allowing uh, black people to gather at their church. They were telling them to go away. Well, we just fellowshiped them. Praise God. I was there, raised my ballot, and I was sad that we had a church that actually is trying to claim the name of Christ that's doing that kind of thing. Grieved over that. I'm not rejoicing in the sin that's there, but I'm thankful that we took responsibility and did what we were supposed Mm -hmm. to do. And I think uh, if we're honest with ourselves, if we start saying, okay, how many churches do we have? And let's look at these churches. And um, when we find that there are those who are outside of the Baptist faith and message are not committed to the doctrine that we are committed to, or the SBC Constitution says this, I don't remember the exact wording, but it says you have to have a faith and practice that's in general agreement with the Baptist faith and message. That's one thing that we should start thinking about and say, yes, this is a part of what it means to be in the Southern Baptist Convention to be a part of this association and where we find teaching encroaching that's contrary to that statement of faith, well, we need to deal with that appropriately. Yeah, I agree. We're, we're a confessional convention. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that most people, most people realize that. I mean, we can even take an issue. I was talking with a pastor the other day, just the simple issue of the Lord's table. Um, you know, when we, I cannot tell you the number of people that I talk to when we say, hey, we only let people participate the Lord's table, those who have professed Christ publicly, uh, believe in the gospel and profess Christ publicly through baptism. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and they'll, they'll be from Southern Baptists. They're like, that's ridiculous. I'm yeah. like, really? So that's what the BFM 2000 clearly states. Yeah, I it's know. Part of it's, what, it's what Orthodox Christians have been doing from <laughs> the very well, beginning. Exactly. <laughs> you know, Whether what? our confession stated it or not, but I'm just simply saying that, that, you know, a guarded table is what we're committed to, but yet it, mm-hmm. it seems to be that we're not we're not committed to the convention. Let me say one other thing that I think is important about this, and that is pastors. And I'm sure Tom, you would you can tell me if you would differ with this, but I, you know, we tell our congregations they become members that one of the things that we expect of them is to uh, prayerfully. Uh, consider, pray, and give give financially faith in a faithful way to the church. Would mm-hmm. you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So that means that we are then taking their dollars that we bind, we bound their conscience to give to the church, and we're binding their conscience in doing that to give to the convention because it's in our budget. Yeah. And I think it's people need to understand what are we asking if you want to use this analogy our little old widows that barely have anything to give to give to the church and then give to causes and this is one of the reasons that we defunded the ERLC mm. uh, in our church because I'm like I want to let our people know what their money's going toward yeah yeah and th- so I think that's an issue as well no, I, I agree with you and you know the confessionalism the fact that we do have parameters of what we believe and what's allowable and what's not allowable to believe and how we practice what's allowable, what's not allowable. That's important. And we can't just mm-hmm. gloss over that any longer in the name of cooperation because Southern Baptists have been, always been about cooperation and praise God for cooperation. But some people, it seems like in Southern Baptist life, especially some of our leaders seem to have that idea of cooperation and how we are to cooperate together with 
uh, being like this, that, you know, you cope while we operate. <laughs> and that's what we're going to do with cooperation. And those days are over. And so churches need to get on board with the understanding that, no, we participate associationally with other churches in the SBC. We need each other. You know, we're better together than apart. All, all the things that we say to each other, what does that mean? Well, that means just what Jared said. If a church begins to waver, to go off the rails in what we agree we believe and how we're going to practice, then we need to hold that congregation accountable. We need to help them. We need to say, hey, brothers and sisters, consider this. And if a, a church is not willing to be cooperative with us in what we believe and how we've agreed to practice, then we need to say, okay, you're no longer part of us. We're not going to seat your messengers. Yeah. yeah. Pastor Tom Buck, thank you so much for joining us today on The Sword and the Trowel. It's been a great encouragement to hear how you're processing things in uh, Southern Baptist life and then things you are committed to do. And we're looking forward to more and more opportunities, especially as we're coming up to the convention in Orlando. And then even broader than that, as we seek to resource pastors and church leaders uh, with information about what's going on and how we can take responsibility and try to preach the truth and to love our brothers and sisters. So thank you for listening to The Sword and the Trowel. Let me remind you, uh, that we do have a new project called Wield the Sword. That's really an application of everything that we've been talking about, how to not only claim that the Bible is inerrant, but how to actually put that inerrant Bible uh, to work in the church, in our hearts, our minds, and even in the world. We have a matching gift. We're raising support for that project right now, matching gift of $10,000. So uh, all that's given up to $10,000 by March 1st mm. will be doubled. So you have an opportunity to have your contribution doubled. Go to founders.org and check that out. Thanks to our fam members, uh, those who are supporting and fighting with us. Uh, we do have the Armory and all kinds of content that's about to get uploaded onto that armory that will be uh, strictly for those fan members. I think we have some interview with Tom Buck. Oh, yeah, from, we got a great interview with Tom Buck. We got some an interview with you, Tom, that we did for uh, By What Standard, but we have the, the full interview that's going to be uploaded there to the armory. So join the fan, get access to that good content. Thanks again for listening to The Sword in the Trial. Thanks, Tom, for being with us. Thank you.